If you've got your Bibles, open with me. I'm going to go to the end of the sermon. Open with me to Acts chapter 19, verse 11. This is going to be an interesting day because I've got so much information to give <coughs> and so little time to give it. Um, last week we talked about uh, the love of God and, and really understanding that everything that that we do is born out of God's love for us, that no matter what circumstance we find ourselves in, no matter whether we got there because of sin's effect on our life or whether we got there because of choices we've made or, or you know, what, whatever caused us to get in whatever place we're in, it's the love of God and the power of God through his love and his goodness that he wants to, he wants to kind of show off in your life. And, uh, and you, you had to do th- really four, four things with the love of God. That is, you had to understand how much God loves you. Paul really writes about that a lot. And that's really the beginning place for every believer is understanding the love of God. And, y- and you need to understand that, and I need to understand how much he loves us. And then we've got to learn how to receive it. So oftentimes it's hard for us to receive love. We, we've got so many walls up and so much... Uh, junk that we find it difficult to receive the love of God the way he would like us to so we have to learn how to do that and and then another step is to is to really hope in the love of God you got to that's where you have to place your hope how do you, well, how do you do that well the first thing that you've got to do is understand that God is good he he is good and he wants you to know that he has good things planned for you. No matter what's coming your way, he wants to bring good out of every circumstance. He works together for good those, out of those things uh, for those who love him and are called according to a purpose, who, who love him. Who, who love him, receive his love, understand his love, and begin to walk in his love. And then he says, after we learn how to hope in this love, we, we've got to be givers of love. We have to give other people the love of God. And, and that is the, that's the base of this message. And, and it's going back to the fundamentals of just being about Jesus. Cheryl, you, you, you talked about, you know, trying to bear fruit. Trying to bear fruit when we're not connected to the vine. One of the things that I wanted to, to do is just bring up a dead tree limb today. So imagine I've got it in my hand. And we want to produce kingdom out of this, out of this dead thing. And the only way it can come alive is in relationship with Jesus. You know, when you're old as I am, there are some advantages. Why don't you tell somebody to the left and right, there's advantages to getting old. That, doesn't that make you feel better? <laughs> I got a lot of amens out of that one, especially for those of us over 40. Amen. They just said, did he just say 40 was old? Yeah, no, I didn't say that. But out of old age, I watched Willow Creek come from nothing to something. If y'all know who Willow Creek is, it's a movement that happened in the late 80s, early 90s. Uh, it was a it was a seeker seeker movement that came that was in Chicago and a church grew to about twenty eight thousand and and they had this idea of how to do church and that was we're going to appeal to the uh, the 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 uh, perceived needs of people and then we were going to try to minister to the real need 
That, that was their whole mindset. And, and they discovered after 20, 30 years that they never really taught anybody how to go deep into the ways of God. And they, and they wish they would have done it. There's been books that are written that says, you know, they wish they'd have done some things different, which we all do, right? We look back and say, I wish I'd have done things different. Saddleback Church is a great church. It was in, it was in uh, California. And, and they had, you know, there were small groups driven, and, they, and it was a, a secret movement, and it worked. It worked it's, it's almost like it, it ran its course. Willow Creek kind of ran its course. There's another church, and, uh, uh, and Jeremy Riddle happens to be back at that church. It's called Vineyard. Anybody ever heard of the Vineyard movement? I, I, I experienced Anaheim Vineyard when Anaheim Vineyard was like pumping. Rita Springer was the worship leader. Jeremy Riddle was a teenager. He was coming up. I mean, it was kicking. And now, now, it's, now it's not. But they're, 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 they're coming back because they're, they're focusing on the things that need to be focused on. Jeremy's going back there to help, help revive something. You know, so you watch things run a cycle, and, there, and there's a cycle in them. Right now, you hear the word a lot, and you know, we, we, we're really pursuing revival. Do you think God wants revival? He wants to revive his people? Absolutely, that's a spiritual truth. But there's this church movement thing that's kind of going on, trying to stir up revival. You know, we want revival here. We believe God's doing something big here. We want that. But, but there's no movement that's going to last. No movement lasts. That's what I said, the advantage of getting old. I've watched these movements, you know, get big and then they go away. And then another movement comes. You know, the Jesus movement was in the 60s and 70s. Some of you may remember that. You know, there are, but, but what remains the same? that you've got to be in relationship with Jesus. You've got to keep the main thing the main thing. Does he want to bring revival? Does he want signs and wonders to follow those who believe? Without a doubt. But your focus can't be on the wrong things. It can't be on revival. It must be on Jesus. And when it's on Jesus, it follows you because he is that. So you've got to understand that he is the thing. And you can't produce the thing without the thing. And, and it's Jesus. You can't love like he wants you to love without him. You, you can't do good. You can't be righteous without him. There's no way to be righteous without him. Let me, let me give you an example of where I'm trying to come from with this. You know, it's almost as if we live in a culture in, in church, and we talked about freedom and love last week and how that all kind of goes together. But we're almost, you know, we've got people who, who really, they, they're, they're pushing the word of God away or trying to explain it away. or, or, or It's really getting politically, uh, there's a political movement that's really just kind of saying, you know, that that's, it's, those ways of thinking are out of date when it comes to sin. It's almost as we're saying about God that, that we're going to establish what righteousness is. That we're going to try to establish, we're going to tell you, God, what righteousness is because your, your definition of righteousness is out of date. And so we're just going to have to agree to disagree. You can feel that movement everywhere. We're going to, we're going to agree to disagree, God. 
when righteousness is established by him. And so our whole mission is to align with him. And the only way we can do that is in relationship. And that brings signs and wonders. That's, we talked about and got into this about the whole idea last week of Jesus a little, getting a little frustrated with everybody who wanted revival or wanted signs and wonders to follow. Although he said about us that that's what we would do, right? But we want to do it without him. And that's, that's without the pursuit and without the investment that it takes to actually operate at a high level in signs and wonders. You know, you, you, are, you have authority because you're a son in, uh, of God or a daughter of God. But you have to grow in the grace, the power of God working in your circumstance, and the knowledge of who he is. And when you grow in the grace and the knowledge of who Jesus is, and you spend time with him, it just automatically begins to manifest. In other words, the closer you grow to God, and the more you understand who he is, the more you're going to see signs and wonders follow you. And they will not follow you if you don't know him. So, so you, sometimes we get the cart before the horse. We want all this stuff, but we're not willing to do the work or the invest in what Jesus says invest in to actually produce what he wants to be produced. We just want to see a sign. So let me start with a scripture. <laughs> this at the end of my notes and work backwards. How about that? I'm going to read it forward. I'm not going to read it backwards. I'm going to read it forward. This is uh, Acts chapter 19, verses 11 through 21, if you've got your Bibles. This is the ESV version. This is talking about the sons of Sceva. And God was doing extraordinary mir miracles by the hands of Paul. Let me just stop right there. There, there's the first sentence. There, there, there's this thought that because you're a son and daughter, you've got full authority. You don't. You have authority. But you grow in the grace and the knowledge of God. When Paul first started, he was an enemy of God, and then he and then he and Jesus said, "Why are you kicking against the ghost?" In other words, in his heart, he knew that Jesus was really real, but he hadn't really yielded to him yet. And so he yields to God, gets baptized in the Holy Spirit, and then goes learns about Jesus for a number of years. Learns about kingdom, learns the nature and the character of God, and then he begins to go reproduce it. When he started out, he wasn't doing this. But by the end, you're going to see an amazing man of God. Why? Because he grew in the grace and the knowledge of his Lord. And that's our assignment as believers is to do that. So, so extraordinary miracles were happening by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Some of the uh, interim, uh, uh, thank you very much, I said it like 70 times before today, and still didn't get it right. <clears throat> and some of the itinerant Jews, exorcists, undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who have had, had evil spirits, because they saw Paul doing it, saying, I adjure you by the name of Jesus, who Paul proclaims. 
Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize because he looks like Jesus. But who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them and mastered all of them and overpowered them so they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both the Jews and the Greeks. And fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who are now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. And so as a son and daughter, we enter into this relationship with Jesus and we enter into this, this authority of the kingdom. And you, and you hear that talk, and we talk about it a lot, that you've got authority. Your sons and daughters, you come into authority. But if you start doing things without being in relationship with Jesus and without hearing the voice of God and without instruction and without timing, you could get yourself into some trouble. And you don't need to be fearful. You just need to know that you've got to dedicate your life to relationship with Jesus. And as you dedicate your life to relationship with Jesus, you're going to see these opportunities begin to develop as you go and as you, as you move. There's another passage of Scripture in Matthew <laughs> and it's similar it's kind of funny and when he came to the other side of the country of the, of the uh, whatever name of that thing is two demon possessed men met him I've been there I've been on the side of that mountain there that's actually the Sea of Galilee came out of the tombs so fierce that no one could pass that way and behold, they cried, What have you do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now I heard, now I heard of many pigs were feeding at some distance before them, and the demons begged Jesus, saying, If you cast us out, send us into the herd of pigs. And then Jesus said, Go. The reason I say that is, is that Je Jesus was recognized by the demons. He didn't have to get mad at them. He didn't have to demand anything from them. He didn't have to shout at them. He, he didn't have to do anything to them except take authority over them because they knew who he was. They recognized him. They came to him saying, why are you here messing with us? The point I'm trying to make here is you're you're a disciple. You are an ambassador of Jesus. What an ambassador is, is somebody who represents somebody else. It is someone who, who is, um, is working on behalf of, of something. Like in a, in a nation you can do that. A salesman is somewhat of an ambassador of, of uh 
of a company or a corporation or something like that. The reason I'm telling you this is I want you to understand a little bit about authority. And, and, and in the military, when I was in the military, I really got a glimpse of what, how to operate in authority. But in the, in, the, in the sales industry, when I was with Prudential as well, you, you can see this authority given to somebody else that was a representative. They called it a sales representative. They, you know, you, you were out representing. And if I, if I went to you, uh, and, and, and if it, uh, let me just explain this way. If I came to you and I came to your house and I came with an agent, which is what I did all the time, and, and uh, I would come into your house and we would do some type of needs analysis and come up with a number that you would need as far as life insurance was concerned. And if I were to uh, come up with that need, and if it was low enough, if it wasn't too high, if it gets too big, I didn't have the authority to bind the company. In other words, if I sold you $100,000 worth of life insurance, I could bind that on the spot. I could sign it, and if I signed it and you signed it, and you gave me the first month's premium, the company was bound for that $100,000. I had the authority to represent that company. But if I wanted to sell you a million dollars worth of insurance, I had to ask you a series of questions, and I still remember the three questions that you have to ask. In the last five years, have you had a heart attack, stroke, or cancer? If you had any of those three, I couldn't bind the contract. You tracking with me? I didn't have the authority to do so. But when I wrote that application, we sent it in, and we did all the health history. Y'all have all done this, right? Y'all hate it, don't you? But it's still a good example. It goes into the company, and there's a set of underwriters who better understand what the company is looking for. And they can take an individual case and match it up with what the company is looking for and either approve or disapprove it or rate it, right? They have the authority to do that because they have a better understanding of how to represent the company. Does that make sense? Y'all tracking with me? The kingdom is the same way. The better you know Jesus, the more you know about him, the more he can trust you with. You grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me give you an example. Y'all remember the story where Jesus goes to Jerusalem and they go to the temple. He's 12 years old. His mom and daddy leave him. How that happens, I have no earthly idea. But they leave him and they walk away for three days. Right? They three days later, they go, where's Jesus? <laughs> well, I thought he was with you. No, he was with you. No, he wasn't with me. Well, who was he with? I don't know. That was your, I told you. <laughs> Y'all have never experienced that before, have you? Well, let's go back and get him. That's a good idea. <laughs> he was 12. Well, you have to understand that they were doing what was customary, and what was customary at 12 for a male Jew was he, he moved in, it was called bar mitzvah, and he moved into manhood. He was now proclaimed a man. And when they said, why are you here? He says, didn't you know I'd be about my father's business? And the Bible says... That from that moment on, Jesus grew in stature with God. What? 
and man. Jesus is being developed by God. The next time that you see Jesus, really, is when uh, he goes to the wedding. And he's, his mama says, son, they're out of wine. And Jesus says, we don't drink wine. We're Baptist. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. I messed that up. I don't think that's what, I don't think that's what it said. Jesus said, mama, it's not my time. I'm not ready yet. And the Lord gave a prophetic word through his mama and says, yes, you are. You go do. And from that moment on, Jesus began to do, to move in the miraculous. Right? And he was empowered to do that when he was baptized by the Holy Spirit in the River Jordan, by John. Jesus, God, was baptized by God <laughs> when, when God sent God to baptize God. That's really easy to understand, isn't it? But he grew. If, if you see that with Jesus, if you see that with Paul, you've got to understand that, that we're going to, to grow in that same way. In John chapter 15, verse 16, Jesus says this. He says, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give to you. Then when we say that, we can really get that all messed up. And we really need to understand what, what's in the name. What, what's in Jesus' name? And, you know, when we pray, we say, I, I pray right now that, that, you know, thank you for the food or, or I pray for healing, or whatever we ask for, we say we ask for it in the name of Jesus. What are we saying? Well, what Jesus is saying is that my name represents something. When, when, um, when you think of an individual, maybe your father or mother or your grandfather or grandmother or great-grands great or whatever, when you think of them, you think about the essence of their being. You think about everything about their nature and their character and what they meant to you. And how they affected you. You know, that, that is the essence of everything they are. And when you, when you think of their name, you think of the essence of who they are. And so when you think of Jesus and you pray in Jesus' name, what you're saying is everything he is and everything that he did and how that, and how that affects me. I pray in that name. Are y'all tracking with me? I know this is deep, but it's, it's important that we get it. And so we, 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 we got to understand that in Jesus' name, that, that means a lot. That when we, we're coming to, to something and we're asking God for something, he wants to give it to us, but it's got to line up with the character and nature and the essence of Jesus. And you can't discover that just by his word. It is in his word because he is the word. It's part of his essence. But he also has timing. He also is doing, he may be doing different things. He may be bringing salvation in different ways. 
And so when you understand his essence, you've got to understand who he is. And so when I, when I look at who Jesus is, he is, he is Jehovah the Savior. That's actually what Jesus means, Jehovah the Savior. He's the Savior. He came to save. What's really interesting, if you study this out, and it gets really big, I mean, God's pretty big, and you need to really understand his essence so that you can move in the power so wonders will follow you. It's not that we don't want the wonders, we just don't want to try to manufacture them. We can, and, and I'm going to get to something in a minute that's very important. So we're in his name, and the name comes from the Old Testament name, Joshua. And so it's Jesus is Joshua, and Joshua means... Salvation as well. And so when you look at Moses, Moses was never going to go into the promised land. We look at God and go, how can God be so mean when Moses did all that work and God didn't let him go into the promised land? God can't be good. I would have done it this way. I would have let him in. But he wasn't supposed to go in. Why? Because he wasn't salvation. Salvation went into the promised land. Joshua, Jesus went into the promised land. So Moses is a, a, a type of prophetic thing, and it's going to die. And there's coming a Savior that's going to bring you into the promised land. And when you go into the promised land, you're going to go from place to place to place, and you're going to begin to take ground. You're not going to get it all at one time. You've got to be in relationship with me. And matter of fact, if you start doing it your way or the way that I did it last time, you're going to find yourself in defeat. That's right. Because it takes relationship with me to actually get things accomplished. You can't do this. You cannot bear this fruit apart from me. Because I am actually the fruit bearer in you. Because another name for Jesus is Emmanuel, God with you. He, he is in you because you're the temple. You're the tabernacle of God. And so the tabernacle of God is filled with the Spirit of God who reveals the Word of God to you so you can know the nature and the character of the name of God so that you become like the nature of God. And as you become like the nature of God, then signs and wonders follow you as you go because God is miraculous. He is salvation. Let me just give you, I did this at prayer the other night, and it just, it just, it really has to open up. Jehovah salvation, the one who brings us into the place of promise. One promise after another promise after another promise after another promise at his timing and in his way as we're in relationship with him. Salvation in the New Testament, it, it has this context. So when you see the word salvation, you have to understand that it is inclusive of all these things. And so it means, it comes from the uh, Greek word soterion. It means rescue, deliverance, safety, liberation or freedom, release from captivity, preservation. It comes from the, the, uh, a root word soterion, and it has a definition that includes forgiveness, healing, prosperity, deliverance, safety, rescue, freedom, and restoration. 
And so when you say Yahweh is salvation, you're saying Yahweh is prosperity. Yahweh is healing. Yahweh is all these things. He is those things. He doesn't do those things. And when you become like him, when you connect yourself with him, you begin to bear the fruit of who he is. And when you bear the fruit of who he is, it actually does what he said you would do because it's his nature and his character. It embodies his name. And so when you pray in his name, you just don't pray in Jesus' name. You say, everything that embodies salvation, Jehovah is salvation. I pray that right now in the name of Jesus. And if you just pray the word because the word is there without permission from the Holy Spirit to do so, you can get yourself into some bad situations. There's a place in Scripture where the disciples go out and they start praying for people to be, to, for demons to be cast out. Well, we, we have a hard time believing even that demons exist in people today. I mean, you know, you, so you gotta, you got to get close enough to God where you can actually see a demon. It's true, isn't it? I'm going to have to disagree. I'm going to have to agree to disagree on that one. Well, that's... An option, you know. But so we can't cast out this demon. How come we can't do it? Because that demon right there takes fasting and prayer. And so oftentimes what we think about is that demon, you know, i got to fast and pray so I can cast that demon out. No, you got to fast and pray so you can become more like Jesus so that demon recognizes who you are and says, Jesus I know, Paul I know, Michael I know, because he looks like God. And when he looks like God, he flees, he's scared, he fears, he runs. And obeys. Why? Because you have the authority of Christ. And it can't be done by manipulation or church movement programs. It's only done in relationship with Jesus. And plugging into the source of the thing that actually has the ability to bring grace to something. God's power that works in circumstances that does more than we can do on our own. That's grace. So when we pray in the name of Jesus, we got to know what's in a name, what's in his name. So we pray in the name of Jesus and we do that with authority because we're sons and daughters and we represent or we are a substitute for Jesus. We're an ambassador of Christ. We're his substitute. And a person or, or a company or a kingdom has to trust that the honor that, that they want to project, that the honor that, that Jesus wants to show the world is as safe with me as it is with him. He, he, wants, to, he wants to give me more and more authority. But he wants to know that it's as safe with me as it is with him. That, that I, I, I don't have an agenda. That I do everything that embodies who he is and what he is instead of what I am or 
who I am. It has everything to do with my ability to, to represent him well. My agenda goes away and his agenda and his ways prevail. It's Jesus and what he is instead of me and what I am. And you can't do that by just going to church. You can't do that by just listening to what the pastor says on Sunday. You can only do that if you love God and understand that He loves you and that He has this great love for you so that He wants to prosper you because that's His name. He can't not do it because it's who He is. That'll make some prosperity gospel enemies mad. It's the nature of God. It's who he is. He's got good for you. And so you hope in the goodness of God. But you also hope in his, as he does it. You don't have an agenda. And so you're looking for the miraculous. You're looking to apply the word. You're looking for goodness. Will we always pray for healing? We will. But we do not declare what God has to heal and the timing in which he has to heal it. He wants to heal you mind, soul, and body. He wants to heal the way you think. He wants you to think like him. He wants you to be righteous. He wants you to align yourself with him. He wants to heal your brain. And he does that by transforming the way you think. He wants to heal your emotions. Everything about you to make you solid. To make you steadfast. To make you be able to handle life and to help people. He wants you to be like him. He doesn't want you to be an emotional basket case. He doesn't want your body to be sick. He wants to heal all of those. But in what time frame he heals is his agenda, not yours. You align with him. So when you pray for healing, you can pray for salvation in the name of Jesus. Healing in every regard. Mind, soul, and body. I pray for healing, salvation. Jehovah, salvation in his name. And be confident as long as you don't demand that God do it the way you think he ought to. Because he's God. You just want the wonders to, to fall. Jesus, when he goes to Lazarus, who said that? Was that Bethany? Lazarus. He, he, he prays out loud. He prays this. God, you and I have already talked. I'm not doing this for me. I'm doing this for all these people. So they'll know that when I do this, it's to bring glory to you, and they'll know that you sent me. It's already, he's already had conversation. He's been in the vine. He knows what to do. They said, She's, he's sick. He's going to die. You've got to come. No, nah, I ain't coming. You, you think he made that decision or you think God told him, just hold on? Wait a minute, God. Your word says you're salvation. You want to heal. Just hold on. Just hold on. Wait three days. Well, if I wait three days, he's going to die. God, I got to go. I got I to gotta go pray. I got to go make sure they're healed. We got to make sure they're healed. Come on, God. Get with it. 
Now you just wait. I got something big. But if we get impatient and we demand from God what we think he ought to do, he ain't able to raise the dead, which is his purpose. He wants to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think. We need to get off our agenda and get on his. And the only way you do that is to abide in the vine. Your pursuit has to be of him. same thing happens in marriage as we represent our bride can have a credit card with our name on it and go buy anything she wants as long as it hits the limit but she's a representative of we're, we're one and the same is true for the bride of Christ we have that authority but let me just say this. This is the, if you don't, if you've got one thing that'll tie this whole thing together, this is the sentence. The power that Jesus' name has in your life and your submission to the transformation process of being transformed into the image of God, the way you allow the name, the character, the nature, the essence of who Jesus is to change who you are in that same regard and is in my doing what Jesus would do in that same power, my prayers will be answered. So you can pray all day long, but if you don't subject yourself to the nature and the character of God, your prayers aren't going to be heard because you're not going to be praying the will of God. God wants you to be praying what he's doing at that moment. And so you subject yourself to him to be transformed so you know exactly what God's doing. You're aware of what he's doing in the moment. And I've heard preachers preach this, and I, sometimes I go, you've got to be kidding me. He says, they get prideful, and they just say, you know, I, I'm just not wild by God anymore. I expect it. And I go, oh, my gosh. You're kidding me. I don't ever want to not be wild by God. I want to go, whoa, God, I prayed this, and, and that was a lie with your word, and God, you did this, and I, I'm like, oh, gosh. It's amazing. We had a funeral here yesterday. His name's Tim. He died at 50. Cancer. Our prayer team has been praying for him to be healed for months. Months. Hard. We've also been praying for his salvation. Three weeks ago, in his stubborn, hard-headed self, who rejected God all his life, screamed out in the hospital, I accept you as my Savior. In the midst of cancer, which would we rather have had? A healing, which is salvation, or eternal life with the Father, if we had to choose. And we could have got totally frustrated with the fact that God didn't do what we asked him to do. 
And that's the point I want to get at. Let me just say what I see as a pastor a lot in charismatic circles, especially those who really want to see the manifestation and the move of God. And I I think we all do, and I'm just trying to keep us pure in our pursuit. (laughs) Signs and wonders, they come but they only come through relationship. As we believe and place our trust in the name of Jesus in that process, in the doing, wonders come. Signs and wonders follow those who believe and put their trust in Jesus. They put their trust in Jesus. They put their trust in Jesus. The better you represent his nature and character, the more you'll see. Our mandate is to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said, grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grow in the ability to operate in the power of God that does more than you can do on your own. And to know him. To know who he is so that the signs and wonders follow you. This church is not another revival fad. I don't want to be known as any kind of movement whatsoever outside a movement of dependency upon the Savior of the world who is Jehovah salvation. And I want to be changed. I I don't want to be the same. I want to understand God. I want to know him. And because I make the effort and I pursue him in such a way that he actually can trust me with stuff that represents him, that's close to his heart. And I can begin to move in things that I would have never moved in if I didn't know his character and his nature. So do you have authority? You do. But you can grow in the grace and the knowledge like Paul, like Peter. At the end of Peter's ministry, his shadow was healing the sick. At the beginning, he was denying Christ. Father, help us to know. Help us to know your love, God. Help us to know how wide and how deep your love is toward us. Help us to know, God, that and hope in that love that you are good. You don't have the ability not to do good. Help me know that, God. Help me hope in that. Help me trust in that. Father, I pray that I never adopt the philosophies of man. That I discover, God, that one of your, 
One of, one of your characteristics is you are the Word. And you reveal yourself more, more in the Word than any other place. Your nature and your character and who, you're, who you are. I pray, Lord, that I have a passion for your Word. And that you use it to reveal yourself to me. And as I go, signs and wonders would follow. That I would heal the sick. I would be able to recognize demonic influence. And, and it would be fearful of me. And as I resist the devil in my own life, the only way to resist God is to agree with you. So I pray a saying in my own mind would be, Lord, I'm not going to agree, just have to agree to disagree with your word and your way. In every aspect of my life, I'm going to align myself with you. And then you're going to do exceedingly abundantly above all I could ask or think. And you call that authority. Thank you, God. I pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Amen.